Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast, brought to you by Scoop News Group, a broadband expansion fund in Texas, top focuses for the new CIO of Illinois, and digital services expansion in Arizona. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. North Carolina's technology office is seeking public comment on a draft of the state's digital equity plan. The 138-page draft plan identifies the need for all state residents to have fast, reliable access and comes from more than 20 listening sessions across the state. Once complete, the state will submit the proposal to the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen is suing Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. Knudsen, in the suit, claims that Instagram was intentionally designed to be addictive and that some of the content available on the platform violates the state's consumer protection laws. The lawsuit is the state's latest attempt at taking social media companies to task. Earlier this year, Governor Greg Gianforte signed a bill prohibiting app stores from offering TikTok for download. That bill is currently on hold from being implemented after a U.S. district judge issued a preliminary injunction. The Detroit Smart Parking Lab has received half a million dollars in funding and grants from the state government to support emerging parking technologies. The lab's testing site launched in 2021 and has supported 20 startups to test parking-related mobility, logistics, and electric vehicle tech. The new funding comes from the state's mobility funding platform. You can find links to today's top stories in the show notes and more at statescoop.com. Voters in Texas approved a new constitutional amendment that will create a broadband infrastructure fund to support ongoing connectivity expansion plans in the state. The fund will tap into $1.5 billion in matching grants for projects with funding allocated under the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. Greg Conte is the director of the state's broadband development office. He tells State Scoop Scholar Rispins about the creation of the office and how the new amendment will play into his work. So the Broadband Development Office was created in uh, 2021. You know, we're still in prime COVID time, our legislative session met that January of 2021, um, and the need for broadband, the need for access to reliable broadband was obviously high on a priority list. It was high on a priority list for the the governor, as well as the legislature. Um, House Bill 5, companion with Senate Bill 5, went through the legislature, and it was voted, approved through the House with 150 votes, 150 to 150, which is great. And then obviously unanimous in the Senate as well, too, and created the, the Broadband Development Office. It housed it within the Texas Comptroller's Office, which is a statewide elected official in Texas, um, basically the state's CFO. Uh, also has various other responsibilities like procurement uh, and items like that, but also now broadband has been put on his plate as well, too. So Comptroller Hager, this is something that's very close and personal to him, is to ensure that you know with the funding that's coming to us, whether it's from you know, the federal government through ARPA, through NTIA's BEAD program, through the Digital Digital Equity Act 2021, or even now with state funds as Proposition 8 has passed, uh, ensuring that those funds are used to its its best uh, opportunity, ensuring that we're bringing reliable broadband uh, at the most uh, efficient way possible to the areas that need it most. Prop 8 was very successful at the polls um, with Texas voters. Um, what does the creation of the state's broadband infrastructure fund mean to you and the people of Texas? Well, yeah, I mean, the the people of Texas have spoke, and Prop 8 that created the broadband infrastructure fund is now into effect. Um, we will see the, that funding come online in January. 
Um, so what this means though, for the people of Texas is just, this is just another tool in the shed for us. Um, you know, as we seek to leverage uh, 500.5 million from our CPF dollars, as we look, as we continue to develop planning credentials, like the initial proposal for bead funding, Texas was allotted uh, 3.3 billion for the bead program, the highest of any state. Um, and, and now as we have uh, the, the BIF, essentially what we're calling it, the Broadband Infrastructure Fund, um, that is just something too that will add to that uh, uh, portfolio of what we have for tools to, to, to address the digital divide here in Texas. Um, it's clear in the way the legislation was written and the way the proposition was worded that we have uh, a lot of flexibility on how we want to utilize the Broadband Infrastructure Fund, which is great. Uh, we now that the broadband now that the BIF is is in effect, we as the BDO will put our heads together and start brainstorming, strategizing on how we, we most want to effectively use that funding. Uh, we want to make sure again that we're using it in the most efficient way possible. You know that's whether it's going to be bead match uh, or any other way to really support in, in the bead program itself and how can we sort of overcome barriers, whether it's through the letter of credit. Um, or any other obstacle that we've identified for the BEAD program and how we can take advantage of this massive amount of investment in Texas. Um, you know, one of the uh, required uses of BIF is for a pole replacement program. Um, so we'll begin underway developing that program uh, and have that accessible for uh, reimbursement for folks to either replace or establish poles throughout the state to address those uncertain and underserved areas of the state. Uh, as well as possibly even support our digital opportunity program um, that is, you know, helping develop programs for literacy, um, access, affordability, things like that uh, beyond the infrastructure component as well, too. We are building capacity within BDO, and that is certainly one of the sections that we're building capacity in is that digital opportunity wing to address the needs of Texans, not just from the infrastructure piece, but also ensuring that, you know, Texans do have the devices, the literacy and the ability to utilize internet if it is built out to the location. Yeah, and I'm curious, could you, um, for me, kind of characterize what the digital divide in Texas currently looks like and the need for connectivity among residents? Yeah, so, I mean, when you use federal data, that what, we, what we've always used in the past as, as a source has been the American Community Survey um, that identified th over 3 million or 2.8 million households that didn't have access to broadband for various reasons. And, you know, that's not just the infrastructure piece, that is cost, that is ability, that is trust. And so when you have 2.3 million households, 2.8 million households, that equates to around 7 million Texans. That's about a quarter of the state that doesn't have access to broadband. Now, as we begin to prepare for Bead funding, and you kind of look at the way NTIA defines reliable broadband and how eligible projects will be allocated. Um, we're looking at about 1.1 million eligible locations. Those are uncertain, underserved uh, locations that don't have access to how the federal government defines reliable broadband for that program itself. So, as we look to strategize on bead funding, that 3.3 billion dollars. Um, we're looking at that number. We're looking at, you know, from a from a from a data strategy perspective, that 1.1 million that has been provided to us by NTIA as we're developing uh, uh, our strategy on, on our approach to the 3.3 billion. 
Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at as we're developing sort of data points to around the extremely high cost threshold and other areas around bead funding. That's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about that number. But however, you know, we do want to come back in and backfill, you know, when you talk about 1.1, you have 2.8, you have about a delta of about, you know, 1.7, 1.7 locations that probably wouldn't have access otherwise. So how can we support those initiatives that aren't just an infrastructure program? How can we support it through affordability devices, literacy programs, and things like that? Those are kind of the, the conversations that we're having through BDO as this funding is now coming online. Mm -hmm. um, I was also curious, um, you know, uh, kind of like in preparation for um, any like election related coverage we were doing at State Scoop, um, I was trying to see, like, obviously this con this proposition really caught my attention, but I couldn't really find any other states that were taking this route um, to create similar funds um, to help support bead projects in the future. Um, could you clue me into why this is the route that Texas, like, is there any, like, is it like a specific, like, amalgamation from like the legislature or the way that the constitution is set up? I just, I hadn't seen this approach before. Right. And so BDO, what BDO was created in 2021, the story I told earlier, um, the state didn't provide any funding outside of just initial general revenue for to establish the office, travel, staffing, things like that. There was no real state investment beyond establishing the office because we were aware of uh, federal funds that were coming in. Um, and so when uh, the ADA's legislature met in January of this year, um, the Comptroller's Office, one of the things we do as well, too, is we do a revenue estimate that we basically say to legislators, hey, this is how much money we have to spend uh, in the biennium. And we were looking at record revenue streams coming in to Texas. Uh, so there was a lot of opportunity to support different initiatives across the state. Um, and so Comptroller Hager made it clear when he, when he was talking to legislators at either committee hearings or whatnot, that he wanted to see a commitment we want to see the state to have a, a sort of stake in this and have some accountability in broadband expansion and relying on federal funds for the state of Texas, that requires us to, again, follow the guidelines of, of the federal government. And so a state funded initiative allowed us to have that flexibility that was uniquely Texas. And so that's what we saw. We saw record revenues. We saw a need for broadband funding. And we saw a need for that flexibility. And I think, you know, that resonated with our legislature when this bill went through uh, and passed and went to the voters to establish the constitutional amendment. Um, that was on the, on their minds. How do we take advantage of this record uh, funding and support and invest in a need throughout the state? Uh, I think that that was on their mind as this was going through. Perfect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the broadband in infrastructure fund, um, you know, starting in January, will have a budget of one and a half billion dollars, um, which was lower than the original five and or five billion dollars that was proposed in the original version of the bill. Um, and the state comptroller um, testified to the legislature that the state would need closer to ten billion dollars to connect um, all of Texas to broadband access. Do you feel this fund, um, in collaboration with other like federal funds, um, grants and gifts? Um, do you feel that this will help, or I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this exactly. Do you feel that this fund will help fully close the digital divide in Texas? Or to what degree do you think this fund will help shrink that gap? I don't, I don't know if I can speak to how 
much it'll shrink the gap, but I can say that this will certainly be a driving force to, as we continue to invest in broadband expansion, you know, we're, we don't need to look at it specifically from public funds that are going to be the driving force behind. Well, we could look at it as a driving force, but we can't say that public funds are going to be the hear all say all of closing digital divide because we're going to need to see uh, private investment and we, and we continue to see that not just through our program, but through other programs as well too, that uh, where we have private industry who's continuing to invest across the state to ensure that that digital divide continues to shrink because they see this investment coming down the line. And so this investment is to support those initiatives. Um, you know, as far as closing a $10 billion gap, potentially even more as we continue to move in the future with inflation pressures, uh, we're looking at supply chain issues, we're looking at workforce issues. I mean, putting all of this funding out at one time, which will essentially happen throughout 50 states and six territories, it's going to put a strain on the industry itself. There's no doubt about that. And I think that everyone's pretty much fully aware of that. Um, what that does to, you know, the industry itself is still to be unknown. Um, however, the investment, whether it's the $1.5 billion that Texas voters have, have obviously supported, whether it's the $3.3 billion that will come through the BEAD program, whether it's the $500 million coming through the ARPA, uh, through ARPA CPF, I mean, this will start, I believe, and, and, and Comptroller Hager also believes that this will start a cascading effect that will see that investment go throughout the state and with the, with the goal of essentially closing that digital divide. When this office was first created, I kind of joked around, but I really wasn't joking around that the idea or my goal as director of this office is to work myself out of a job. If BDO is still around, you know, come 10, 15, 20 years, you know, we obviously haven't accomplished the mission of this office. However, this, these funds, whether it's BEAD Fund, CPF, BIF, they obviously have timelines. And so with those timelines, you know, that requires us to attack this mission in a strategic approach to essentially close that digital divide. So I think it's like, to answer that question, will it fully close it? I don't know, but it'll certainly light the fuse to move us in the right direction of closing the digital divide. And um, one thing, too, that I was thinking of while you were um, talking about all that. Um, so with the bead funding, obviously, like states need to provide like a portion of matching grants. Um, and with the th this one and a half billion, it seems like it'll go it'll cover a lot of those matching grants and there might be some in the budget left over. Um, would you say a majority of this fund will help go to those bead um, matching funds or um, how how do you see this money being spent in the future? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you start doing back of the envelope, simple math, you look at it and you say, okay, what's 25% of 3.3 billion? You have about 800 million, right? And so that can certainly be a way for us to go through 1.5 pretty quickly. At least takes a, a large chunk of that. However, when we, if we do stand up a match program, we want to make sure that the matches are, are are doled out to applicants who need it most. I like to use the analogy of kind of like a Pell Grant when you're looking at colleges, you know, you've been accepted, but you on a you demonstrate a financial need for funding to support your educational progression. That's essentially how we would approach a bead match program was that we were supporting uh, uh, applicants who need it most. Um, we know that there are certainly providers in the state who have the capital to tie up into their banks to have that letter of credit. 
where it won't have, will have either no or limited impact. We know medium to smaller ISPs tying up that capital into banks will really hamstring their ability to accomplish the mission of what, what, of what we as BDO and state broadband offices across the nation are trying to do here. Um, and so um, it's, it's certainly an opportunity to get through a lot of funding. However, we would, again, want to have a strategic approach to that to ensure that we're not just handing out taxpayer funding to anybody and everybody who wants it. We want to make sure there is an at-need basis so that we're utilizing the funds in the best way uh, appropriately. Because anything, any sort of delta on that allows us to have that flexibility to, to allocate and, uh, and invest those funds in other necessary needs as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of jumping gears to Texas's um, initial bead plans that were recently released, um, what are, from the broadband development office's perspective, what excites you the most um, or what are you the most optimistic about or excited about um, when it comes to these initial plans? Exciting is a word. Um, I'm like most broadband directors. I think we're just really. I think the whole thing's exciting, right? I mean, it's a massive investment in broadband infrastructure. It's a it's unprecedented, as we say. So it's a once in a lifetime event, uh, and I think being part of that for me is exciting. Um, I think when you start looking at timelines, particularly from the way that NTIA wants to operate a uh, sub grantee selection process, an availability challenge process. Um, in a 365-day window for a state like Texas or even, you know, state like Louisiana, who also received a significant amount of funding, it's going to be a difficult task for a lot of these states to address the needs within those constrained timelines. Um, I talked to you about, you know, uh, economic pressures, workforce pressures, uh, buy America pressures, things like that, that while, of course, we want to get this money out, we want to make sure that you know we, we we're putting the infrastructure in place because this is a time sensitive issue. We want to make sure that all of our communities and all of our locations that don't have access have that as soon as possible. You know, speed is sometimes the enemy. And so as as we're looking to build out timelines for how we're going to execute on that, and I know you didn't ask that, but I'm going to change your question to what really makes me anxious. And I would say timelines on how bead funding is expected to uh, uh, rollout. You know, we have we 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 put 120 on 120 million on the street through Boot One, our bringing online opportunities to Texans program. Back in May, we closed that application. We're still in the process of evaluating those. 120 million is three percent of 3.3 billion, um, and so the thought of having to do that in a 365 day window next year is uh, is is slightly concerning in only one to two tranches of applications essentially is what NTI wants states to do as well too so being part of this is exciting mm -hmm. being part of this is it excites and activates my staff it it excites and activates the agency um, and it excites and activates I think just Texans in general to kind of see this build up however the timeline is just something that we're trying to work around and work with NTIA on to make sure that we're doing this in the best in most appropriate way possible, that we're attacking the problem um, uh, correctly. And that, and that by when the money runs out, we want to say we did some great things with this, not that we got the money out as fast as we could. What other challenges um, do you envision that lie ahead for Texas with this broadband expansion plan? Through beads specifically or through everything? 
through everything, just what are some of these challenges in expanding broadband access? I think one of the challenges, and this is the conversation I was having today with staff, is that, you know, as we stand up a bead program, a CPF program, there are other broadband programs occurring as well. You know, earlier this month, um, was it Reconnect 4, Tranche 4 was announced, right? And we had two ISPs in Texas win $50 million to serve as, I think it's around 2,000 locations, right? And we're going to have more tranches announced. So we have federal programs that are rewarding broadband projects throughout the life cycle of BEAD and NTIA. And I, and I completely understand why. They don't want us to support projects that service locations that are already under federal commitments. However, if that target is moving throughout this process, how are we as a, as a state broadband office, and this isn't just a Texas issue, this is across the nation, how are state broadband offices supposed to make sure that if I say I'm gonna support a project to location A, how do I know by the time I make a decision to when I get an agreement with an ISP, another ISP already hasn't eaten that location up through a Reconnect 5 or an RDOF or whatever it needs to be. It's just the, the data itself is so in flux that it's difficult to make data-driven decisions when you don't have all the information. Um, again, we're, we're continuing to, you know, we have a Texas map, we have you know, we have access to CostQuest's map, which is FCC's map, uh, and we're con continuing to monitor that. And we will continue to make sure, whether it's through the availability challenge process or through our own internal uh, strategic discussions, that our projects are addressing just, you know, clean, what I would call clean locations, locations that are not under those federal commitments. However, that is something I think that's not only keeping up myself at night, but other state directors as well, too is how do we ensure that the funding is being used for the most appropriate locations and funding locations that are either reconnect, RDOF, whatever it is, CPF, whatever it needs to be. I don't want to, I don't want to double tap that location. So I think that's just one. I mean, if you got hours, I can tell you away about all the other ones, but I think that one, just because I had that conversation this morning, I think the data quality, considering that there is no moratorium on federal funds, like, you're going to be awarding this throughout this process while I'm trying to stand up a bead program to get 3.3 billion out. Come on, man. So that's just my thought. Yeah, no, that, that does sound like quite a headache, honestly. Um, let's see here. I think, oh, um, last question that I had um, for us today. Um, what are the state's next steps for broadband expansion through bead? I know that you guys have the, these initial plans out right now, and you're in the process of collecting um, public input and feedback on them. Um, but where do you go from there? Yeah, so we'll. We're, I think if we go through December fourth. Um, uh, broadbandprotexas.com. It has our initial proposal draft one and two, as well as a CAI uh, spreadsheet, the uh, community anchor institutions. Um, and so we're welcoming the public. Anybody can come out, review those documents, provide feedback. What we'll do, we'll close it out December 4th, both volume one and two. We'll get the team together, get in a room, talk about all the comments that we had, uh, make the correct updates if we need to, uh, or stay the course on, on some of the policy decisions within that, if that's what we determine. And then by December 27th, we'll have that submitted to NTIA for approval. 
Um, and then moving into the next calendar year, right, we'll continue to do our outreach. We'll continue to do our engagement with local communities. Uh, we're looking to take advantage of a lot of what we did within 2023. I don't know if you're aware, but July, August, we actually went out to 24 different locations in the state of Texas. Texas is a very large place. I know Montana's big, but Texas is a very big place. So going out to 24 different locations is a feat within itself. And so we're looking to build upon that momentum. We have 12 different regions in the state of Texas. We've created regional working groups. We have regional chairs who support the office as well too. And we're looking to take advantage of that as we continue to move in the calendar year 2024 to ensure that you know we have transparent, open processes for, feed, for that feedback loop. Um, and then we'll have an availability challenge process, an NCIA compliant availability challenge process, we'll have a sub-grantee selection process coming in the heels of that. Um, and then we'll do, you know, the evaluations, the awards, and all of that. And, 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 you know, not part of the NTI process is that the state of Texas does have a state-mandated application challenge process. So we'll have a front-loaded availability challenge process. We'll do the sub-grantee selection process. And then we'll say, okay, winners, I mean, applicants X, Y, and Z, they're, our, they're who we want to support. And we'll put those online and folks will have 30 days to challenge those locations because that's a requirement of the state. So again, as we're talking timelines, 365 days, things like that, state constraints, state mandated requirements were not considered with NTIA's uh, 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 timeline. We don't have the authority to waive uh, legislatively mandated uh, uh, initiatives like, a, like an application challenge process. So we're trying to make all that fit into, that, into those timelines and we'll continue to work with NTIA on kind of the expectations of that. So. To answer your question quickly, engagement, availability challenge, sub-grantee selection challenge, application challenge, awards, and um, and then also too, you know, if we have a bead match uh, program, we'll have that running concurrently as well too, uh, and anything else. Um, and again, Texas uh, broadbandfortexas.com, we have the ability to sign up for updates. Uh, we also have a lot of the information about BDO on that website, kind of what we're up to, what we're doing. We have board meetings, local roundtables, industry roundtables, any way that any member of Texas, um, they can tap in at any, at any point and see kind of what we're up to. Uh, we try to maintain a, 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 an up-to-date, transparent website so folks do can keep an eye on us and see what we're up to. Greg Conte, Director of Texas's Broadband Development Office. You can read more about him and broadband expansion at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The new CIO for the state of Illinois is getting up to speed and looking to lead the state's Department of Innovation Technology into the future. Sanjay Gupta was named to lead the state IT department in June and has since prioritized service delivery and improvement. He tells me about his focuses in the new role. Right now, I'm focused on three categories. Category one is making our foundational services more robust and resilient. Category two is reimagining and improving our existing services. And category three is about innovating and creating new services. And all of these are focused around improving resident services for the state of Illinois. So let me talk a little bit about the foundational services. There are four areas in the foundational services. First and foremost, it's our workforce. I'm investing in our workforce, creating new career paths, training opportunities, and also looking for ways to hire additional staff with the current evolving landscape. Second, it's about procurement. I'm shoring up our procurement capabilities. State procurement can be quite onerous, and by adding staff and implementing new tools and technologies to make our procurement more efficient. Number three, 
is improving our fiscal discipline and with a sharp focus on value. And last but not the least, it's about communications and improving our communications within our agency as well as with our customers. So that's the foundational services. The second category is about reimagining and improving our existing services. So there are four areas within that as well. First, modernization. I'm accelerating a modernization which started previously. Second, I'm focused actively on engaging and implementing our ERP program. So I have an active oversight and a steering role with making sure that the ERP program comes home successfully. Number three, it's about relationships with our agencies. I'm working to actively collaboratively work with our agencies to improve the relationships with them. Last but not the least, it's about audit. So we're improving our audit capabilities by improving our preparedness and audit outcomes. The last category is about creating new and innovative services. So I'm looking at ways how we can create new innovative services with the use of emerging technologies so that in essence we can drive additional value and better services for the residents of Illinois. I'm hoping all of these things put together was ultimately with the goal of improving our residents' experience working with the state of Illinois. When you think about it, you know, leveraging some of that innovation to to drive better service, I mean, what does that look like in practice? I know you're still relatively new to the role, but but what does it look like sort of in execution for, for the residents of Illinois? Yeah, so innovation, I talk about innovating at the speed of business relevance. Uh, oftentimes, IT teams are lagging behind what the business needs are. So my intent is to accelerate the way we innovate and we look for solutions using technology as the foundation to help deliver new services. Today, there are many, many technologies that are available that are commonplace in the market and the industry at large that we can apply and which will help improve the digital experiences of the residents of Illinois. And then, so looking looking forward, right, there are about six months between this conference and the next NASIO conference. Uh, what do you see on the horizon? What are you going to try to achieve and get done in that six-month time? Yeah, great question, Jake. Um, what I'm looking at is uh, leveraging the data that we have in the state of Illinois, combine it with some of the emerging technologies, and see how we can deliver new capabilities for the residents of Illinois. I'm also looking at engaging our communities uh, I mentioned about our workforce program. Uh, we'll be soon launching a program, a very cool and innovative program, where we are creating new diverse career talent pipelines with our communities, which will help us and bring them into the state uh, without meaningful employment for them. Also, I'm looking at working with the educational institutions and doing things like codathons and hackathons, which will allow us to better engage with our communities and also allow us to create solutions that the state and we can deploy at large. So in some ways, crowdsourcing some of the opportunities that exist with us. So that's what I hope to do over the next upcoming months. Sanjay Gupta, CIO for the state of Illinois. You can read more about him and the state's work at statesgoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Arizona's IT department is looking to find some ways to deliver services across individual agencies as one unit, not in the bureaucratic siloed approach of the past. J.R. Sloan is the state's CIO. He tells me about his work to expand the state's digital services and what's next. Well, as we have a new administration that's come in, uh, we're going to see an increased focus on how we deliver uh, health and human services and, and how those are really uh, brought together in the digital services that we deliver. So uh, I think looking across 
how we deliver those, uh, not as silos um, from individual agencies, but, but creating a, a unified journey for our customers uh, in that process and providing just a better overall um, experience, making sure that more people get access to the services that they need. And so when you when you think about something like that, the, the citizen engagement piece is obviously key, as you said. Uh, let's talk about the how. how. How do you make that happen? How do you drive some of that forward uh, across the agencies through through your position as CIO? So driving across the agencies, I think my role is really help to set the strategy and be the catalyst to help them see the vision for why should we do this together? Um, they, they all have uh, put a lot of time and effort and thought into how they deliver services individually. Um, but what I have seen is over the course of the, of the pandemic, one of the benefits is um, in our health and human services uh, groups, they started to see like eligibility. We all are collecting similar eligibility information, but we do it differently. And there's no benefit to the customer for having provided that information once, they get to provide it over and over. So there is, uh, I'll say it, the, the beginnings of some consensus about we need to come together and do this better. And so I wanna build on that, I wanna help uh, cement that vision and then uh, help be the catalyst to build the business case to then say, let's go do this and do it together. And when you, when you talk about any sort of citizen engagement piece like that, and, and really the pulling together uh, of different ideas and resources and, and, and uh, input areas, that there's obviously a whole lot of data involved in that discussion. So how are you coming at the data piece of that? What does it enable you to do longer term? So we've been investing in, in data and from the ground up. I'll say the unsexy work of data stewardship and data management and data governance. We continue to invest in that. Why? Because I don't know what we're hundreds of years in, in state you know uh, existence, but let's say in the last you know twenty to thirty, uh, lots of data being generated, not a lot of curation happening, and so uh, in order for us to really uh, capitalize on the value of the data and this wonderful asset that we have. Um, as well as continue to secure it properly and protect the privacy of the people that it's associated with, we have to really understand what it is and where it is, that it's well organized, and that then it can you know, really serve us and serve the citizens better um, by, by its existence and being, I'll say, clean and high quality and you know, ready, ready to be utilized. And, and as we look at some of the new technologies that are out there, right, whether you know, AI is all the trend today, right, well, in order to do the things that are possible with that, you've got to have good data that's ready to go. And so, you know, you and I have talked a lot over the years about sort of that changing role of the CIO, and, and I think it's kind of inherent in what you're talking about now. You're really talking about being that convener, being that person that can say, okay, we have all this stuff, let's make the business case to make it happen. Uh, how, just in those examples, or just in the last couple months of your career here, uh, how has that changed? How has that made you think differently about your job as a CIO? Well, so as I'm talking with, uh, I'll say, uh, in the health and human services segments for Arizona, talking with those CIOs, really seeking to understand what are the key things they're working on, what are the problems they're trying to solve, um, building trust, um, you know, uh, working to uh, have them be ready to, I'll say, work with me. Um, and that you know, I'm not out here to build a, a kingdom of my own, that I'm here to actually help them do their job better. And, uh, and to look for places where if we come together and do something as an enterprise, it benefits everyone. And, and that hopefully it also gives them maybe more capacity within their own business to get to some of the things they can't get to right now. So that's, that's looking for the synergies and the possibilities and the efficiencies and economies of scale. And it's, it's being both the, the strategist and, and deciding what are the right things to work on and to work with them to make sure that their priorities are taken into account, um, but then also being the catalyst uh, for like, why should we make this change? 
And then, you know, lastly, when you look out over the next six months, six months between the conferences, which is why I use that, uh, that time frame, you know, what's, what do you want to get done by the time that the next conference rolls around? Uh, what do you want to have to have to say for yourself in, in six months? Okay. Well, I was careful because I know you'll come back and ask me this question again. Uh, but in six months from now, I'd like to be able to say, hey, we have an agreed strategy. Uh, and, and I would you know, put a finer point on it, like an agreed digital strategy for how we want to execute on this. Um, and then I'd like to have a, be a good way down the road of, of sorting out and potentially having a solution identified uh, for how we want to solve some of the foundational items in terms of identity and which platforms are going to serve us well um, to, to deliver on that digital strategy. J.R. Sloan, CIO for the state of Arizona. You can read more about him and Arizona's work at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at prioritiespodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or rating on the podcast page. That small extra step helps more people like you find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put it together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.